Welcome back to another episode of the Black Menaces Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and I'm here with my co-host... Rachel Weaver, we are so excited to be back with you guys this week. Indeed we are. We're going to kick it off with our menace moment, but before we do, we want to introduce our guests. We have some very special guests on today. Uh, mm. Chandra and Jordan, do y'all want to introduce yourselves just very briefly? Yeah, uh, Jordan, I'm from New York originally. My wife here, Chandra's from Idaho. We've uh, we've got three adopted kids. We're all black um, and three biological kids. We live in Utah and it's been it is a fun fest every day. Oh, man, I bet. Well, we are not necessarily looking forward, but we are, are grateful for the opportunity to hear the story that y'all have to share today. Um, and so before we jump into that, we want to talk about our menace moment. So this week, uh, I wanted to highlight someone named Sue Thomas, and she's somebody that I actually just learned about. The reason that I chose to highlight Sue is because she is a member of the deaf community or was a member of the deaf community. Um, and this month is both Women's History Month and Deaf History Month, which I did not know. I saw that recently. So I thought, well, let me highlight uh, a deaf woman. So um, Sue Thomas was born on May 24th in 1950 in Boardman, Ohio. And she became deaf at 18 months for reasons that are not fully known. And at age seven, she became the youngest Ohio State champion freestyle skater in skating history, which is pretty interesting. Pause, um, like figure skating? I think so. It, does, okay. it just says, yeah, so freestyle skating would be yeah, figure skating. And okay. So, she, yeah, she became the youngest Ohio State champion uh, in freestyle <laughs> skating in skating history when she was seven years old. Uh, she worked with speech therapists throughout her life to develop her voice, and she also learned how to lip read expertly um she went to college at the at springfield college in massachusetts or springfield university i wrote that down wrong so it's either springfield college or springfield university but she graduated with a degree in political science and international affairs and after college she actually worked at the fbi for a few years first she worked as a fingerprint examiner but then as her skills as a lip reader were recognized she became a lip reader for uh, for the FBI, and she worked there for about four years before she ended up leaving for health reasons. Dang. In <clears throat> excuse me, in 1990, she published her autobiography called Silent Night, which later became the blueprint for a TV show about her life. The TV show was called Sue Thomas FBI, spelled E-Y-E, and it depicted her life story as well as her time as an agent for the FBI. It ran from 2002 to 2005, and had over 2.5 million viewers in the U.S. and was syndicated in 60 countries, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, she later wrote a follow-up to her autobiography uh, titled Staying in the Race, and it chronicled her experiences living with multiple sclerosis, which she was diagnosed with in 2001. In 2020, Sue was diagnosed with lung cancer, then became cancer-free in 2021. However, she passed away recently on December 13th, 2022, at the age of 72. But she was um, someone special, and she you know, had an amazing career as both as an author and an agent for the FBI. So that is Sue Thomas. Hey, very cool. I think anyone who works for the FBI is very, like, that is impressive. I've watched a lot of Criminal Minds all of it multiple times mm. and so i just know how intense it is and like also i've watched quantico and um some <laughs> these shows are showing me you it's no joke to get into the fbi like i don't think i would make it personally based off of what i've seen and so i'm just very impressed with anyone who has a ability to do that and 
being deaf as well, like that's just a different challenge you have to overcome to mm-hmm. be as good as everyone else. Yeah. And then to be able to lip read for the FBI, I mean, you gotta be, you gotta be very good. So literally like that's giving like, I don't know, like what's, whatever the highest level is of that, like you <laughs> a plus plus, I don't even know shit. Like that is crazy. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And you know, one thing that I love about having, being able to do the menace moments is that I get to learn about people that I wouldn't otherwise know about. Cause I never would have heard of Sue Thomas or, you know, like some of the other people that we've researched, um, if it wasn't for being able to do this. So, um, yeah, it, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be benefiting and learning from, from these menace moments and increasing my ability to be a menace and, and to learn about other people doing the same thing. Shout out for next week. Hearing yours is inspiring, inspiring me for the one that I want to do next week. I also have someone who was deaf and blind that I got to hear from at my job and their journey to Harvard Law School and oh, graduate. yeah. You told us about that. I'm excited yeah. to hear about it. So I'm going to do their feature next week for the minutes. No, man. Shout out. So be look out for that next week, guys. Cool, cool. Well, all right. So we're going to jump into our story. Well, not story, but we're going to jump into hearing this experience. Um, Chandra, you had written into us um, probably like a month or so ago, and it took us a little while to get back to you, but you had shared an experience that, occurred uh, with with some of your children and some other kids at school and and then how that's kind of snowballed into a bunch of other things happening in your community and how you've really seen a lot of of hatred and racism and other things kind of pop up from this event um, if you would both you and Jordan if you could just share a little bit about what that experience was um, kind of what caused it and then you know what the the fallout has been since yeah, like so I, I wrote about this because it, it is we are learning actually we're learning quite a bit with along with our kids as we raise them, as we see what happens. I I was not educated and I have been fighting for education for my kids since like on behalf of my kids, um, since elementary school when we started noticing implicit bias being played at school and um, trying to get the district to educate not just the kids but the teachers and so with this experience that we went through with our son it was yeah this is just something that we really wanted to make sure that like we know we're not the only ones every time we meet other people um, that have children of color and or our people of color that like their full families. There's a lot of adoptive families here that we end up connecting with um, Mm -hmm. that we know we're not alone and you don't hear a lot of it. And when you talk to people who don't, aren't in it, they have no idea to the point where they're saying, really that happened, you know? And, and so we really just wanted to get this out. So we appreciate this. I was just going to add, you know, so the twins, our oldest, who are who are black, are also we're also diagnosed with a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Mm. Uh, so there's the disability component to it, which I think makes things even harder. Um, you know, from what I see and the experience we've had, and and so Shannon and I, we've lived across the country, right? We lived in New Jersey, we're in California, we lived in Michigan for a number of years, and we ended up here, um, and uh, for for good and for bad, but. Um, 
when you're in these types of situations and these types of environments, I think it's so important. It seems as though that people really have to portray their best self when they're out in public and around others, uh, because they are more likely to get called out. They're more likely to get in trouble. They're more likely to have issues with law enforcement and so on. And so when you're in a situation where you have our boys who have some impulse control issues and challenges in that sense with executive functioning and understanding social cues and tone. Essentially, it affects your frontal lobe. It's the frontal lobe brain damage. And that's what it affects, is what he's saying, is all of the executive functioning skills that you need. And it's a spectrum, just like autism. So everybody who has it is is different. Mm. And um, they're affected in different ways, more severe, less severe, very much like autism, but and, and there, there was something in your last podcast that really uh, struck me when I was listening to it. And that was, you know, I think the comment, I'm going to paraphrase it, butcher it probably, you'll have to go back and watch it or listen to it, right? But uh, uh, the sense that in, in Utah, and I feel like particularly in this county, um, the area really does cater towards or help feel, you know, those, a certain demographic to feel a sense of inclusion, and no one else really experiences that. And that's kind of, as we've moved around and landed here, been something that's become more and more evident, where if you don't fall within that particular demographic, it is not really a, a comfortable place to be. And it's what we've seen with our kids going through school. Um, this particular incident that uh, Chandra had emailed you guys about, a month ago, it was something that happened back in, what year was it? Was it 20? April, last April. Was it 2022? Yeah. Okay. I can't get my ears straight anymore mm-hmm. since COVID. No, so I true. I did that to everybody. <laughs> no, so true. It's like that day I, never happened. It could have been 2019 for all I know, right? I mean, yeah. it, Right, it exactly. Right then. No. But um, it was a situation in which the kids had just gotten off the school bus. Uh, there was some bantering back and forth between some of the kids that you would expect at the junior high level. Uh, He was in, my son was in eighth grade at the time. And the person he was kind of going back and forth with had been calling him the N-word, or had called him that at least on three separate occasions or two separate occasions that we know of. One had happened the day before. Um, I don't know if that played a role into the interaction at all, but uh, but there was their words exchanged and the other kid just got really upset and attacked Gavin. It actually came out of nowhere because the kid that was with him said we like they weren't expecting it. And so when you have someone who doesn't so part of their disability, they don't understand facial expressions, tone mm-hmm. of voice, um, a lot of the social cues they don't catch on to. So they constantly, the issue with them is they sound loud They all the time. They sound, um, you know, they, they don't know how to fluctuate their tone per situation. Um, and it, it's very concrete. So like my brother will say, oh, yeah, see, he understands sarcasm because he can be sarcastic with him, with me. But they understand that they're being sarcastic so they can be sarcastic, but they don't understand when it's coming from someone else. Mm-hmm. That that perspective. But so yeah, and so what had happened was this this uh, other kid. What, what did we decide to call him for the sake of John? 
or do we with Jonathan, right? Or something. Jonathan Huntington the third. Um I liked um not the full government. Anyway, uh, you know, the kid lunged at our son, grabbed him, and my son threw him off. Uh and fell down. Yeah. And he, the kid got up and lunged at him again. And my son the, threw him off. The second time, the kid actually grabbed him by the hair so hard that he ripped a huge chunk of his dreads out of his hair. No. Oh he had been growing his dreads for three years. Very proud of him. It was part of his identity. Right. And um, it was, that was alone, like traumatizing for him. Right. For that. But that's how, that's the amount of force that this kid was using. Um. How old are they yeah. again? He, oh, this time he was he 14. Was 14. He's 15. And then, you know, the magic number three. So the kid gets up a third time and lunges at him. Uh, and my son, he tries, he, I think the kid tried to knee him or something, was trying to hit him while he grabbed him and Gavin threw him down the third time. At which point, my son, or I should say our son, why do I say my son? Our son, <laughs> uh, held him to the ground and said, Are you done? At which point the kid said, "Yeah, yeah, it's over." No, so, are you dumb? I love. I'm sorry. I love that, but <laughs> I shouldn't be encouraging violence. But yeah, that's. I'm glad. That, yeah. Well, you know, the, the funny thing is, Rachel is, you know, this was a situation where, with my son, and in the circumstances he was finding himself in, I would have not. Have, I would have. I would have expected him to hit the kid. I would have expected some other retaliation other than simply trying to prevent bodily injury to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but he exercised a tremendous amount of restraint for what I would have expe- expected him to do. So yeah, I would right. That shows his true nature right there. The fact that he didn't have it in his mind to, to retaliate, mm-hmm. but just to protect or himself. He- well, I was going to say, the true, true nature is he had never been in a fight before mm-hmm. with anybody. He had never been in a fight with anyone afterwards. In fact, this is the sole time he's ever been in a fight in which he didn't even initiate the altercation. But... What had happened subsequently was that the kid went home. They took him to the emergency room. He said he was sexually assaulted. What? That that Gavin had grabbed him by the penis and balls and said, what are you going to do now? Kiss me or something like that. Which makes, it, from a character perspective, it doesn't make sense from like the venue, right? I mean, you're like in the middle of the street with other kids going home from school. Like none of the story made sense. Right. Um, but this is what he went with. He said that he had a potentially a, a broken arm and a concussion. Um, and so the next thing you know, the police are at our door. It was actually a black officer that came to the door. And we were actually thinking, oh, good, because there won't be the biases. Mm. But it we was actually, wrong. it was actually probably not in his benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that we learned and what we at least saw from our perspective was that it almost seems as though he needed to prove himself to the other officers. Yep. Yeah, I think yeah. James Baldwin actually talked about that, how black police officers are worse than white ones in a lot of a lot of instances because of that. So, so we mentioned the N-word altercation from the day before, the, everything that led up to it. He kept grilling our son about the sexual assault, and we sat there and said, he already said he didn't do it. Let's move on. He asked him about five or six times, so are you sure that you did not touch him there? And he was like, The officer no. pulled me aside yeah. and, and wanted to have a conversation with me away from my son and saying the, the gravity of the situation is 
the sexual assault. And, and I told him, I said, it doesn't make any sense. The other kid's a, a liar. He's been, he's manipulated people in the past. He's, no one in the neighborhood befriends this kid. We tried to be nice to him. Hell, we've taken him to corn bellies and, and, and done things right. with his family, trying to keep things amicable. And, and he got along more or less with Gavin's twin brother. Uh, but for whatever reason, today was the day he decided that he was going to have an issue with us. Um, I had one brief uh, discussion with the father when he was driving to the ER. And the moment I brought up the N-word and just sort of describing the context of my understanding of the events, he shut it down and he was done. He wanted to get off the phone. He started screaming at me. Uh, a little backstory was, I think a year and a half prior, he had called both my boys, the, the, the son had, called both my boys the N-word. And I sent a note to the father saying, I just want you to be aware that my kids say that your son had called them the N-word. He came and gave me a 45-minute lecture on my porch as to how they're not racist, and my, his son would never say this. And I pointed to him and said, I don't think you guys are holding rallies over at your house. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not assuming you're having conversations about how you need to call kids the N-word. I just don't know if you're actually having conversations about not doing it. Right. The great learning lesson that mm -hmm. I'm passing along. And you would reciprocate down the road if there were ever situations in which my kids did something, right? Right. He's not having it, right? His kid is perfect. It, where, in fact, his kid's a piece of shit. I mean, he's oh. he's shown that time and time again. Um, but everything snowballed from there, right? I mean, then, the you know, the officer probably gets back to us, said there's more than, it's more than a 50% chance likelihood that Gavin had sexually assaulted him because the kid had alleged it immediately after the altercation, which means it must have, it's more likely to have happened. They give it to a detective. The detective who we finally get, to, they, they transfer detectives. We get a- I'm uh, sorry, that's crazy that we went from yeah. like a schoolyard altercation almost mm -hmm. to now to detectives. To detective, yeah. Okay, keep going, I'm sorry. So, so the, the parents lawyered up immediately. They brought the lawyer to the school to try to get the district involved, even though it didn't happen on school property. They mentioned things to the ecclesiastical leader in the area, uh, which happened maybe by circumstance, they were just sort of crossing paths. Although they are not at the time weren't, in, or as far as I'm concerned, not active. Well, right? so but, what we want, like going back to when the police officer came uh, to our house, he actually came over asking for Aiden and Gavin. And Aiden was actually he, he would ride, he rides, he has a, a lot more impulse control um, issues where they are on the spectrum with FASD. Um, they're just in very different places. And so Aiden, we just needed to, for his protection, he would ride the disability bus home so that we made sure that there was someone there that could, the, I don't know, the school bus, I don't think is a safe place for any kid to be honest. And so when you have disabilities and you have people accusing you of things, and when they can't answer who, what, when, where, why questions immediately because they have no short-term memory, it has to wait until it goes into their long-term mm. and then they can, they go back and remember things, but it's, or they have to sit there and process it for a while before it actually comes to the, even if you're just like, who were you just with? That it takes them a while for them to come up with mm. that. Um, and so Aiden would ride the disability bus that year and he was home in the office with Jordan. 
So he was not even in the area. And the police officer came over asking for both of both of them. Hmm. And we said, why are you asking for Aiden? And he goes, oh, um, they must have just mentioned that it was his brother. That was it. And it was very much not that situation. And we shut it down. I mean, we he's, he's got disabilities. He's not talking to you. He wasn't there. You don't have access to him. Or it's, right. It's not happening. No. Um, but we found out later the reason why he did actually come and ask for both of them is because from that very beginning moment, this kid was trying to get Aiden involved from the beginning. We even have the report how they're like, they, he talks about how at one point or another, he went around the block and Aiden had thrown rocks at him. And then my son, go, Aiden goes, mom, mom. I have this video on my phone. It was from 2019. And it is a video of this kid on his four wheel stopping in front of our house, throwing rocks at him. At and our son. Yes. And then you and you see the level of um, understanding that our son has, because in the background, he goes, huh, huh, hey, Gavin, do you think he's a better thrower than me? Like he just isn't fully processing all that's happening. And then the right. kid drives off, flipping, a, flipping him off. On the on the camera. So to try and keep this, yeah, I don't know how to make it condensed, um, or or uh, you know give you the, the the concentrated version. But we had a bunch of back and forths. They so they involved the school. They let the ecclesiastical leadership know. The ecclesiastical leadership shared it with a few people. All of a sudden, it's happening. Like they're having conversations about it in a primary presidency meeting, which none of the kids even were like under that purview, right? I mean, they were like, they're all youth at this point. Right. And so that got shut down. I ended up having to, I had, I, we let the, uh, we let the bishop know at the time and he says, oh, I'll make sure it stops. They said, well, I don't understand how it got out in the first place. Right. Well, fault, it turns, well, no, it turns out he wouldn't admit to it, but it, then I reached out to him later. I said, so it turns out uh, we spoke to the person in primary uh, presidency whose husband was at the gym with you and you mentioned it, you probably didn't mean to, to like spread a rumor, but that's where it starts. And if it doesn't stop, there's going to be a double defamation lawsuit coming your way. So you better learn to shut your mouth on it and, and take care of business, right? Uh, that was kind of... It was frustrating because they hadn't even spoken to us, you know? So why are you talking about it when there's not another perspective yeah. on that? It's very one-sided. And that's how we felt throughout the whole process. We've never been in an experience where we've been having to deal with police or law enforcement. And so we have nothing else to go on but our own experience with this particular instance. I just feel as though it seemed awfully one-sided from day one. Um, and to describe what that's like, <laughs> we had, so I, I should have finished. So they got this church involved. They got the school involved. So the school said no. The church didn't want anything to do with it. Um, and so they got a they went through the civil route to get a protective order in place while charges were pending. Then they tried to get our entire family pulled into the protective order, including my at the time six year old son, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, well, I guess I didn't think it was funny, but I'm trying to find humor in all of it. Yeah, you know, you, um, you found it out. Yeah, the kid showing up with a brace when he goes to see the the the, uh, the the go to the court. But you know, the funny thing is, he's playing baseball within a week. He went dirt biking. He went on. He posted on social media. He's riding his bike past her house, popping wheelies like he's just trying to. The kid who was the 
this sent a note to my son saying he was running around the block and he goes, I just saw him lifting up his bike and putting it in the back of his trunk. And the reason why this is important is because that's what they were saying was that he had a possible um, broken arm and a concussion. And um, the way they even got the, so for the protective order, they had a ridiculous temporary like until we, there was a two week temporary protective order in place until we could, until we could have the hearing and the, what he was not able to do. I, I don't know how they were. I do know because they, they pushed the sexual assaults on to get that protective order. And what he was unable to do was go to church. Um, even though they don't go to church ever he couldn't go to the gas station he couldn't go to the gas station he's never interacted with this kid at the gas station and he could not go to the baseball field where he played baseball for the city so he missed about half of his games because there's not a lot of games in city league and so um he was not and, and during that time none of their baseball games crossed paths but he was not allowed on the baseball field so they were extremely punitive uh, when the Child Protective Services interviewed the this uh, asshole, oh wait, no, sorry, Jonathan Huntington the third or whatever we want to go with, um, he uh, the kid acknowledged that none of the sexual stuff happened. He admitted it didn't happen, but then he started saying that he, you know, they they kind of went on the whole aggravated assault side of things, uh, and he even throw in threw in that uh, this poor white child who was beaten by an animal on the block. That this animal, this black kid, called him the N-word uh, before walking off. So he just knew that we were making allegations that he was the one using that word. So he flipped it and said that a black kid's calling the white kid an N-word after. I mean, just absolutely, like, that was one of those little things that really set me off because it, it just took it, it almost felt like, it was like the FU card or the, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's that kind of thing like, ah, you know what I'm doing, right? But I'm doing it and, and they're believing me. Mm -hmm. um, the detective finally reached out to me after we had tried to give him video footage, snapshots of the social media stuff, right. like all the stuff to show that he was, the kid was fine, right? I mean, if you're throwing a ball and pitching and playing second base within two days of of having a broken arm, I, I think that your arm's probably right. and you don't have a concussion. Right. If you're posting it on social media, chances are you're not limiting your screen time. So the concussion's not there, right? Disregarded all of it. He wouldn't take any of that evidence. He wouldn't take any of that information. In fact, one thing they did acknowledge the receipt of was the picture of our son's hair before and after with the dreads ripped out. Mm. And he failed to include that in the police report. Um, it was entirely one-sided. He calls me up and he tells me uh, we're going to go for aggravated assault because of the extent of his injuries. It's a felony charge. But then he says, but don't worry. It's the juvenile court system. It's not meant to be punitive. It's to teach your, your son what he needs to know now so he doesn't repeat the same mistake. What? And I said, well, what mistake did he make? And I said, is he not allowed to defend himself? He didn't even throw a punch. Is he supposed to lay there like a punching bag and just take a beating from some stupid white kid because he wants to take his aggression out? I mean, like, what message are we teaching our kids if they can't stand up for themselves? And to the extent that my son did, it was, in my mind, the most pacifist way to go about doing it in which he wasn't actually inflicting any injury. The only person with the intent to cause bodily harm 
was the other kid. And he yeah. did cause bodily harm. And he did. Mm-hmm. And so it went on and on and on. This thing lasted for months. I'm just shook because I'm like, you're also, he has, where's like the consideration of the disability at all, like the intersection None. of that and this whole like, okay, sorry, that's just mind blowing to me. Our right lawyer like, was really bad. He was actually really bad. He, from the very beginning, he said, um, You probably ought to make sure it's clear. This wasn't even a public defender. We, we, Hired him based on a recommendation, spent thousands of dollars with mm. a guy that didn't care about race, disability. He was so anywhere. disrespectful to me. Um, mm. he, he very much, um, I am very vocal. Um, I do very much say how I feel. Right. Uh, I, I really have a hard time being any, I don't know how really to be anything I don't know how to bury things down. I don't know how to play fake. I don't know how to do any of that. Yeah. Uh, and he very much from the beginning said, well, we're going to try and, you know, get this down as low as we can. And we said, but he didn't do this. All right. You should get it. Right? There shouldn't be anything to get down. It should be no, taken away entirely. Absolutely. And for the from the very beginning, that was not his goal. Yeah. He said that um, because our son, one of the kids, so there were witnesses that they interviewed. And you think about it, there's 13 and 14 year old witnesses. They're kids, right? We don't hold blame. We, kids don't know what to say, what not to say. Right. They don't know how to say things, right? And their stories all come out differently, you know? And and we don't blame that, but that's the purpose of a detective. That's why if they're going to pass it up to the detective, then that detective needs to look at those preliminary statements given from that police officer and do his job right and he he did not and so we you hear like don't ever give a statement you hear that all the time but when you're in that situation you think oh if i tell them i'm that he didn't do anything if i tell them what really happened yeah they're gonna do the work to to see yeah that that happen right but we were so wrong and we understand that now because from our experience in this situation when that detective saw that there were statements he didn't need to do anything the work was done for him there was no need for him to go back and say so what do you mean by push because one kid said you know he had pushed him out of the way he goes oh our lawyer pronouns real quick they said that Gavin made the first physical contact by pushing the kid. Therefore, he was the one who started the altercation. So Gavin, so Jordan asked the, the he was a friend of, of our sons, asked him, what does that look like? What does that look like to you? And he goes, well, he, he like, he was trying to get around him because he was mm. standing in his face. So he moved him to the side like this. So if you're explaining this to someone, if you're ask, being a detective, asking these questions, then that's how you're going to kind of gauge the situation. And the other thing that you you recognize is that we had to do some grammar request reports from the police department um, to make sure that they were they were putting in the correct information. And that's how we found out that they left out the images of what happened to Gavin when his hair got ripped out. Well, we found, yeah, we found that after the whole thing was over with. Well, yeah, but that- they wouldn't let us see it beforehand. No, they wouldn't. Right. But that's how we found out that information. It wasn't just told to us. We had to get these grammar request reports to see that. You know, the, the thing that's really was so mind blowing and eye opening for us 
was the disregard for what it all meant if you did a really crappy job with police work, right? I mean, so we ended up going to speak with the police chief and the deputy chief of police. We sat down with them for like an hour. We argued about the disability. We pushed about well, no, no, we educated. Sorry, you listen, but it was really good. We did feel like we were being heard. We were there with the chief of police and the deputy chief, I think is how you say it. And they seemed very like, no, that's not okay. If that's how they did their work, let's do this. They re-interviewed the witness. They come back and they say, well, okay, so we we re-interviewed him. And if we, you know, this, they recognized that it wasn't done right. They had passed it up to the prosecutor had been sitting there for a long time and they said well um they yeah so what (laughs) supposedly what they said was that had they done the job right the first time they would have just said look this is stupid call it disorderly conduct on both kids they would go to the uh the accuser saying do you want us to press charges because you're both going to get hit with it they probably right Possibly, I don't want to get a charge. Right. So drop the whole thing; it would have been done with. Exactly. Instead, we're seven to ten thousand dollars, you know, in legal. Wow. Fees. We're dealing with stuff fallout at school, the right. community, the reputation, the bullshit right. that we're basically putting on. And so, you know, you could sit there and argue, hey, you know what? It's just juvenile. It's just something. It would, you know, fines or whatever it's going to be. You're going to deal with it. It'll be over with, and it's all sealed. It's not a big deal. But we know better. Than to think that for our son, who was 14, didn't do anything wrong, heaven forbid he ever gets into a situation where there is something in which something's happened or bad judgments made or passed, you know, he's already got something on his record. Right, exactly. You know, we've already started the process. So, you know, Mm. we're trying to get him to graduate to full-on prison at some Mm -hmm. point. He's got to start somewhere. Uh, We had a white lawyer that didn't get it. And I am so pissed about the lack of diversity in this community that we we struggled so hard and long to try and find a criminal juvenile attorney that was worth anything, and we couldn't find one that didn't that looked like our son. Mm-hmm. We couldn't find someone who could sit there and say like, I get why you're concerned, and I'm going to go to bat for you guys. Mm-hmm. We got some jackass who just simply wanted to like let's let's play this thing down. It's not a big deal. Instead of let's fight this thing and make sure it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, and understanding like the racial implications, right? More than just like. It's just this is with every career and every industry. I say this like you have to have more context than just like what you're doing. Like doctors, mm-hmm. if you're going to be a doctor, you need to know more than just like medicine. Like I know how to treat someone, but do you understand the implications of how sickle cell affects Black people at a higher rate because mm-hmm. of these certain systemic issues? And what are you doing as a doctor or something with the trans community? Like you need to be more aware than just like, oh, here's what I do. I have to understand like the social context of how I'm showing up and how I will participate in my job, which there aren't a lot of jobs that aren't like that. Even finance is the same way. Like it's every industry has that and it looks a little different. Mm-hmm. And that's why like more than just going to school, you need to have like some type of ethics that are constantly taught within these per these industries because this lawyer needed to understand more than just like this isn't just a juvenile case this is a racial there are racial undertones and racial implications of what is happening with this young person and also there's an intersection of disabilities as well so yeah and what's it going to look like what what foundation are we building what story what narrative are we crafting here uh you know we've already had to fight 
so hard with his with his brother around not using the term uh, aggressive in any IEP documentation because I don't want someone reading some shit in a school doc saying, hey, guess what? I've got a black kid. He's aggressive. And the first sign they're going to be calling the police or something or the, mm-hmm. or the resource officer on everything. Mm-hmm. Right. So we had to fight on this thing. It was it was like it just felt as though his fate, no matter even though he did nothing, was completely out of our control. And here's the funny thing. At the end of the day, after all the stuff we had to Chandra, for the most part, had to get together, put together, package, hand deliver to the lawyer so he could hand deliver it to the prosecutor, take it, pass it to the police office, have them reopen things, put addendums into the police report because they didn't do anything on that front. Um we show up, you know, we had a probation officer reaching out to us before it even went to trial. It was interesting the, how things came to play. So we did go and because he, this kid is actually known. He doesn't have any friends in the neighborhood. The and, and whoever he was friends with, they quickly were unable to hang out with him after because he does front this a very different presentation to adults. And the mm-hmm. minute that adults aren't around, there is manipulation and he is he's he's trying to get these kids to do things that are not in their character. Parents see that and they're like, you can't hang out with him anymore. So we were trying to get character witnesses from people that we knew had inter- like bad interactions with him. And every single person that we asked, people that we know well, that we know they've had interactions with this kid. Every single person said, we don't want to get involved. One person, person, an an older couple that lived a few houses down that had an interaction with them, they were the only ones willing. And and unfortunately, their character, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, statement was more about the father because the father's an absolute prick. Um, Don't fall far from the tree. That's all I got to say. Right? Yeah, I mean, they're both like, they were just, they're both terrible. But, uh, and the mother too, for that matter. And the cousin, I mean, so the, the funny thing is that after all of this, we sit in front of a probation officer. They, they, we, we talk it to a non-judicial ruling of disorderly conduct, misdemeanor class C or so, whatever the lowest one this is. This is so crazy. I, yeah. This is just, it escalated way too much. It, but well, it escalated. It we never should have escalated. It should have been that from the beginning. Absolutely. And what I was trying to say was it was crazy how it went forward, how it went from neighbors saying we don't want to be involved. It went from um, getting a call from a probation officer before they had even charged him, decided what they wanted to charge him with, and then press it, put it up to the prosecutor. And then our lawyer was, every time something different would happen, he would go, huh, that's not usually how that goes. Mm-hmm. You know, every time something, and we're like, well, why do you think it doesn't usually go this way? Because right. mm-hmm. we know why. Right. <laughs> and and then, and then, um, the next thing that had happened, the probation officer called us early. He actually called us multiple times. And then, um, oh, what was, there was another thing like right after that. Oh, they came over, when they came over to give him the, when we did the protective order, they actually ended up, they went in there even after we'd gotten the, the um, CJC report. That that was the only thing that the oh, detective did. In the did. protective order that was the, the court thing. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing that the detective did was he transcribed the CJC report in which the kid admitted that the sexual assault did not happen. That wow. to, to get the protective order put in place where they did. And then when we sat there, the um, the judge let our lawyer say one thing. He let their lawyer say one thing. 
they actually, um, and then he kept looking at his watch, telling us that he didn't have a lot of time. He was already running late and that he was going to put it in place to keep the families apart. Our lawyer said that they could, that he tried to get them to put it on both boys, but they would not do that. And so the only thing that we could do was, was, was do this protective order. And he was like, you have, you have like five minutes to answer five minutes. If you want to do this five minutes. And we were like, oh my gosh, we don't want to put this on our son. He didn't do it. And so, um, what did we well we what we ended up doing is we locked in a, a year of a, but we did fight though like we, we we put him on hold he was he gave us a little bit of time actually and we actually went trying to find another lawyer to help us and we mm. i can't tell you the amount of hours we spent trying to find lawyers right. and we could not everyone kept saying well if you change lawyers if you switch it's ten five or ten more thousand dollars just to switch and then you have to keep them up to speed and then you have to do this and we didn't even know if it would be any better right and so who but, but here's the funny part to just yeah I mean the funny thing is at the end of the day we sat in front of the probation officer we pled to or we didn't plead right we just agreed to a non-judiciary finding uh, or a ruling in which they were offering us nine hours of community service. We said, well, our son has, tr- has trouble like making toast in the morning without help. So anything he's doing is going to require our involvement. And he didn't do anything wrong. So let's stop referring to that other kid as a victim still. Can we please not do that? Mm. We're here for whatever. Can we get it down? What's the lower end? Oh, we can do five. And then Chandra asked the question, well, isn't there like a fine we can pay? Mm. Let me go look. He comes back 10, 15 minutes later. He's like, okay, it looks like it's $36. We paid it. We spent crazy. more money on grandma requests than the actual fine to close out the stupid thing. Now, it was a first-time offense, so the next time we get stuck in a situation like this, if Gavin didn't do anything, but it gets all the way that far, and we pull it back, I don't know what a second-time offense is going to cost us. Yeah. They kept saying, you know, if you don't like this, you can fight it. The problem that we found with fighting it was that he would it would be on his record as being charged. And even if we won, right, they found that it was dismissed, that yeah. it would be on his I mean, record. Here's the distinction though. If it's dismissed, it means they didn't have enough evidence, so they're gonna just not charge they're not gonna proceed with trial right away or, or ever. But they can always come back and charge you. So it's gonna mm. yeah. you have to go to trial, you have to win in trial. Right. Point, they would then it would not go against them. It might indicate on there. It would just say it would still be there. And then you mm. look down and scroll and then see dismissed below. So anyone mm. who brings that up is going to see that. So this was out of the court, non-judicial. And we are just trying to do whatever is best for him. Yeah. <laughs> to, you know, and, and whether or not we know what that is, we don't. Right. But that seemed to be the best thing yeah, um, than fighting it. But that's what they kept saying is, well, you can fight this. So, so how has all of this affected Gavin, affected Aiden, affected your other children? Like how, how have they been affected throughout this past? Cause this has been going on for a year. Yeah. So uh, how, how have they been affected? And thanks for, thank you for asking that because it, it's been hard. I mean, we went on, we tried to get our kids minds off of it. We went on spring break uh trip out of state and but gavin would ask the question what if the police need to talk to me what if what if they're going to arrest me are they going to come after me if i'm out of oh state like, 
don't worry about it. The worst thing is going to happen is some sort, you know, the, the absolute worst is you get, you, you basically get told that you did something you didn't do and we're going to, we're going to deal with the ramifications there, but you're fine. You're not doing any prison time. His over demeanor, you could tell that he, it was really weighing on him. Um, whenever we would try and talk about it, whenever we would try and get the information out, he would shut down. He did not want to hear it. Mm-hmm. He didn't want us to talk about it. He, or at least he didn't want to be around when we were talking about it. And it took quite a while um, for, I mean, he is, they're still in this state of, um, of like, you see his body freeze. So we actually were, I, th- I think it was after the protective order hearing, or it might've been before we, we went to church and there, um, there wasn't enough room and it was for a farewell. And so this family who doesn't like never is there came and we were sitting right by the door. Gavin was on the end of the seat and they were standing right there staring at him. The door would open and they would stare him down. And he was like, mom, mom, I want to go. I want to go. And, and then when they, they came, they finally came in and they sat right behind us. So there was like no motivation for them to stay away to, to like fix the situation. He was walking in the neighborhood. They drove by, stared him down and drove very slowly by him. Um, there's been instances after. So the school year started, there was a football Real quick, game. Real, yeah. before you get, I mean, it was, it's really actually kind of interesting because everything that we thought we were doing to protect our son and we thought we had a narrative. We felt justified in a lot of what we did. Um one of those things was Shandra, whenever she saw this kid riding his bike in the neighborhood, completely healthy, she'd get her camera out to take a picture or a video real quick. And that showed up in the protective order hearing where they wanted to have some sort of safety for this kid because we're stalking him. And it's like, no, he's riding his bike past her house in the neighborhood. And we needed evidence to show that he wasn't actually injured because he's a lying sack of crap. Right. You know? But so <clears throat> everything that we had done you know, there was an incident right before the protective order hearing where this kid rode his bike past her house at least four or five times while we were talking to the next door neighbor. And occasionally it wasn't him on the bike, but it was his aunt riding the bike around the block, looking at us as they went. And so it was like antagonizing us in a way. And we finally told uh, Aiden, who's the twin brother, you know what? And they, by the way, they don't look anything alike because they're different heights. I mean, you don't, you don't confuse the two ever. Right. But uh, we told him, cause we had him on basically on a leash <laughs> since the altercation, you guys right. can't, don't go over there, stay over here, stay in the backyard. Do not go in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, we said, go around the block. We're in the front yard. We'll keep an eye on you. Uh, he came right back and said that, that they started video recording him and yelling at him to get away from their property. Uh, Chandra at that point, walks over on the sidewalk and starts yelling, what do we do to you guys? Aiden's not on the protective order. Stop harassing him. They end up calling the police, saying that we violated the protective order. We explained to the police that Gavin was the only one on it and he had nothing to do with this. Then they decided to issue us a trespassing warning, even though we were never on their property. And so we had the privilege of, uh, of, of reciprocating by saying, okay, We'll issue them a, press, a trespassing warning as well. So there, it's there's like, a lot of, our kids have felt a lot of trauma from this. Mm-hmm. Um, when we got the call hearing that they were pushing a charge of aggravated assault up to the prosecutor, 
our children were in tears and they were scared. They were terrified for him and what would happen to him. And um, it hit really, it caused a lot of problems for us in our marriage because on top of having kids with disabilities, on top of being at the school almost every single day, fighting for their IEPs, fighting against the the biases that we would get. I got a phone call in elementary school that they said that Aiden had a look on his face and he was holding scissors like this. And and so and I was like, I'm sorry, what would you like me to do because of that? You know, so it's not it's the disabilities, it's the biases, it's all of that. And then we put this on top of it. And our our family was being it was we were feeling destroyed. Um, not knowing if we were going to come back from this because mm. the, the stress that it was having on us, mm-hmm. that our children seeing that stress on us, our, our, our kids like seeing Gavin and him just being on a really just easily agitated and just short with everyone trying to cope and handle this. Um, it trickled through all of us and through our children um, to the point that they all they all have anxieties of you, you can physically see it on them to go out and around the block because they 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 can see into our front yard from their house. Mm. So this isn't a house that's like down the road and around the corner. Yeah, they can see us from the backyard. I interrupted Chandra. She was going to tell you about an incident, and and this. So to 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 circle back to your question real quick, Nate. Um, trauma. And it's been an educational experience, one that I never right. wished I wanted. Yeah. Uh, but for the kids, at least, you know, we've done had discussions around civil rights. We've had discussions around racism. We've had discussions around the history. There was a great uh, Netflix documentary briefing that we watched. Uh, you know, who who are or who we are? What was it? Who we are? Who we are? I don't know if you've seen it. Um, where it just kind of goes through racism in America, mm-hmm. and and like really helps put things into perspective. And this sort of helped even the younger kids have some like tangible, you know, experience and saying, okay, it's there. I see it. I can feel it. And, um, and so that's probably one bright uh, point in all of it, but uh, just, just the fact that they're educated or more educated or more sensitive. And we were doing it before this as well. Yeah. But this really brought it to the forefront. Uh, There was one thing that really was hard was, when the new school year was starting up after the incident, my Gavin plays on the football team. And so he wanted to go cheer on the varsity team in their first home game. We dropped him off at the high school. Uh, we had things going on. And the next, you know, we get a call saying that uh, uh, from our kids saying, Hey, the family's here. They're like really close. They won't leave us alone. They're kind of like staring at us. And they ended up leaving the venue altogether and going to like a grocery store. I had to go find them and then walk them back in. And I left them on the other side of the field. And I watched as this family was staring over at them still throughout the whole game and texting my lawyer, like, what the hell are we going to do about this? And he's just like, just make sure they stay apart. You know, we don't want to have any problems. We've got to show the protective order is working. You still have the open charges and shit. And so it's, you know, I'm sorry. That's the third one. I could have been you're a lot good, worse. You're good. You're <laughs> um, good. But but here's the thing: they didn't just come in, park themselves within ten feet of our kids. They stared at them until the kids left. Then they took their spot. Mm. 
Okay, so like it was completely deliberate. We yeah. had school. We brought the NAACP representation. We sat down with the. With well, the, you should talk about what happened at the football. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. While they're at the game, then after I brought them back in, and I'm sitting there just waiting for this game to end, uh, I get a phone call from another neighbor who is acquaintances with them and used to be our friend, and she says, "Hey, Gavin got in a fight over here. He's fighting a bunch of kids. The police are here." You better come get him. And I said, at the same time, I'm getting a phone call from Gavin going, Mom, get her away from me. Get her away from me. And I can hear Jordan coming up in the background. And what had happened was her daughter was there at a cheerleading event. And that's why they were there. They had heard that somebody got in a fight. I don't know where the name Gavin came from. They told their mom it was Gavin. But in like the 2,000 people that were there, it had to have been our Gavin because he is. Went up to him and verbally assaulted him in front of his friends, telling him that she was going to kick him and all of his friends. Ass. (laughs) A lot of swear words. They were going to kick their asses that she was saying, you mother effing this. Like just, it wasn't just yelling at him. She was cursing, swearing, embarrassing him in front of his friends to find out that it had nothing to do with him. He didn't even know what they were talking about. No, nothing. And then I get a phone call saying, I am so sorry. I was trying to protect him. Now I can see what you guys are going through. I had no idea. I'm so sorry. And I'm sitting here going, what just happened? What just happened to him. The thing that hurt was we knew this woman for for a good chunk of Gavin's life. Mm-hmm. Gavin's never been aggressive. Mm-hmm. But this one altercation, this one rumor that gets spread, this one crap charge they were pushing, and all of a sudden Gavin is this aggressive black kid in the neighborhood mm-hmm. who is having run-ins with the law and it's justified. It it never was. So this is when we went to the superintendent. We got the president of the NAACP to come down and be a part of that meeting and talk to them because we did send, because they don't go to the high school, they go to the junior high, but this happened at the high school. We had, we actually reached out to both schools. We never heard back. We then reached out. um, She actually told us that she would get a hold of the superintendent and that's how we got the meeting with them. And in that meeting, it was very clear that um, they weren't going to do anything. They sat there, they nodded their head. They said, okay, Janetta said, you know, you you guys have to let him, I mean, because there was no, a number of instances that had happened before this, because like we had said, they'd been trying to get his twin brother involved from the very beginning, um, start like with the protective order. Yeah. He had gone into the school, went into the office and accused Aiden not Gavin of this was between the incident to to when we were going to have the protective order hearing so this was like a very sensitive time because so this then this was how he was trying to get him on that order is they were in line a friend said is that the kid and Aiden goes we're not supposed to talk about it he the kid gets out of line goes straight to the office and says got Aiden side bumped him and called him gay to the point where he brought his dad in they must have yelled at the principal for us to get an email saying, because Aiden has an aide at school. Um, Aiden really has a hard time with his impulse control. He has a hard time really knowing what to do with his homework. Well, to cut it short, though, real quick. Yeah. We had to get a grandma request so we could get video footage mm-hmm. of the time to show that nothing happened. Mm. 
like we were spending money and time chasing down imaginary, uh, you know, altercations that this kid kept inventing, yet he was still considered a reliable witness mm-hmm. uh, and one that they should be going 100% on what this kid said when they were pressing charges. Well, and the reason why we brought that up was because we only asked for a few things from the superintendent with Janetta, and we said, you know, hey, we just want him to know that he can't just walk into the office and make up lies and they're going to believe him every single time. That can't happen. There there should be consequences for that. Mm -hmm. There should be consequences when we found with the grammar requests and the statements from the kids that were around that that did not happen. There should be a consequence for him trying to make up an allegation like that. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just on behalf of the school because he was trying to make that go into a legal part of the case. That wasn't school event and um what were the other things we wanted them to take you know they say that there's zero tolerance when it comes to racial epithets that uh you know someone says the n-word that's not okay we all agree but they're not clear on what that actually means it happened multiple times at the school and so we were bringing that up with them not just from this kid from multiple kids and every single time it's just a conversation and it is not always a conversation with the parents it's just with the kid and 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 move on. So we talked about needing to have consequences for that. And then we also asked for more training, uh, more uh, advocacy yeah. more of assemblies and discussions around diversity in the school setting, mm-hmm. uh, which they gladly nodded their heads, jotted down some notes like that's something to think about. Mm-hmm. And and then the director of diversity at, this, uh, at the district said, well, we've been doing a lot of this uh, in which we have not really seen it. And in fact, and maybe this is I, I know we're kind of. Well, so, so then what happened from that is we got a phone call telling us that basically Jordan should have reacted at the football field when he was there, that he should have approached them and stopped it and got the police involved. Please. That so they were actually kicking parents out of the football games yeah. for yelling at refs. They said there was nothing that they could do about the the harassment and the verbal assault that happened at that. The last exchange game. we had, the last exchange we had with the district was me just letting them know that my understanding was that rather than taking a measured approach to addressing an issue in a moment where I felt like I was calm enough to have a conversation that they wanted me to overreact in the moment is the only way you're going to address these issues. There was nothing they would do. That's what would have happened had I just approached them at that point. I was was really upset. Um, They wouldn't even keep them away from even one game. But they're they're kicking parents out for the entire season just for talking wrong to a ref. And so that's where we were like, I'm not quite sure where that's coming from. And we'd already talked to the director of diversity at the the school district prior to other situations that we've had at the school as well. So Mm. we'd already, we already knew her. There have been lots of lost opportunities to educate these kids who are going to be really not well situated if they ever were to leave their bubble Mm. uh, and see the world for what it is. Um, You know, I think that's kind of like a, a really big one just because some of what they can say is it's so hurtful um but they are the least represented minority at uh-huh. least in the county that i can see i mean i made right. it the other day because we saw a black kid uh sitting in the car with his white mom so it must have been another adoptive situation we assumed uh while i was picking up my kids from willow creek and i walked over knocked on their window 
and said, so, you know, and, and had a quick conversation with him. I said, so you're bringing the kid back to Lehigh because he was coming from, from another area where they were experiencing a lot of problems. And I said, well, we need to make sure that we're always in communication of things are going on because people don't listen to one parent. But if we can get a group of us who can completely, you know, maybe come in and bombard them with complaints, they'll have something they got to do with uh, it. And uh, I was looking at the statistics. Lehigh, oh, I shouldn't say this, the, uh, whoops. Anyway, um, the school in which our kids will be going to for high school, it's like 0.6% black. Right, so you're looking Welcome at to Utah. Matt, you're like you got ten kids in there, right? So much. It's a ton, right? You got ten kids. We're gonna like, we're gonna increase that by thirty percent just by sending your kids there. Um, but you know, and I, honestly, like, like I, I told you guys when we were first when we first sat down um, before we started recording, is that it, like I I'm learning with my kids. I I not educated enough. I right. I don't know. You know, I, I sit down. If I don't know something, I say, you know what? I, I don't know how to talk to you about this. Let's sit down. We find a YouTube video. We try and look up different things online and we have a conversation because I know I don't say things correctly. I sit here and hesitate all the time. Like, how am I dressing people the right way? Am I saying things right? I know that I make plenty of mistakes. I know that I am. I need I continually need education, even. One thing that Shannon does really well is if there is a black person she sees at Walgreens or at Walmart or any other place where she's shopping, or heck, there was one time I was coaching a youth basketball team with my kids and the ref they had was black. And she would walk up to them and like wave them down. Hopefully it's like between, you know, uh, uh, quarters and like during a downtime, but, but she would have conversations with them. I mean, it was through those efforts that we had someone cutting our kid's hair, right. Mm-hmm. Took him to a gym uh, because the guy who owns the gym and works there is black and looking for ways in which we can connect our kids with whoever we can find that looks anything like them. But, you know, Aiden, Aiden has a very, Aiden has a really hard time socializing. Um, what he, they both of the, our children, they both come across as very neurotypical. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to do some really deep diving with Gavin to see it. He really tries to mask it mm-hmm. quite a bit. That's a great job. Um, yeah. masking that. Whereas Aiden, you look at him, he looks absolutely neurotypical. When you start talking to him, he talks in question and mm-hmm. he's very, um, outspoken. He only knows how to say what he thinks. And he will always say, like, if we go through, we went through the line, the line at McDonald's um, in Salt Lake. And he goes, mom, mom, look at his hair. Look at his hair. Can we tell him we like his hair? Can we tell him if there's like another, if he sees someone else who is black, someone that looks like him, mm-hmm. he wants to go up and say hi. And we were in the party. So Jordan says they go and do that. But like, there's a reason for it. They don't just like walk no, up. No, I was trying to get that point. <laughs> yeah. So it, 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 it kind of sounds like. I guess to kind of like wrap everything up, right? To to bring it all home, it just, it sounds like your your sons um, are not being seen for the young men that they are. They're being seen as as just black men, basically. You know, it, it, right. the fact that they're that they're fourteen, fifteen, um, they have been into like in this entire situation who they are as people has been ignored and everything has been focused on what the system, what America interprets them to be, even in, you know, the way that they were charged, 
or I'm sorry, in the way that Gavin was charged or that they were trying to charge him in the way that this other kid was just believed right off the bat without any kind of questioning and that they took his statement and then came to, to your house already with their minds made up. Um, you know, there's been a lot of apathy with with the, the school system, with with other parents and people that you thought were your friends not wanting to get involved. And, you know, the crazy thing is, you know, I would imagine that if you went and talked to all these people, you even mentioned this with the dad. He came over and gave you this long speech about how he wasn't racist and how, you know, I'm a, I'm a good person at heart and all these things. But like all of these people are contributing to racism. They're contributing to white supremacy mm-hmm. by allowing this to continue by perpetuating well, to that, Nate, real mm-hmm. quick. I'm sorry. I, I know we're you're good. You're good. There's so much. Yeah. If I were to sum it up, every one of my black children, including my daughter, have been called the N word. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is absolutely wrong, but this is the way they're going to do it. And, and th- we know that part's wrong. But the response has been, you know, don't invalidate a kid who says, I think I, I think someone called me the N-word because that's what they did to my daughter. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. We couldn't quite figure out who it was. So, you, you know, but but between the N-word, between things like calling them hell, I mean, they've called them slave monkeys. Wow. They, last week, they called one of my sons a trash monkey. We don't even know what that means. A kid that overheard it said these that's, were teachers. These were teachers, by the way. Uh, who the said teacher said monkey. that to to your son. She so called my son a trash monkey in the hallway. <sighs> a kid said that's racist. She goes, it is, and she keeps walking. Oh, this wow. was the same teacher. So it was during um, it was in February, and Ava, our daughter, had um, a, this outfit that said Black Wonder on it, and um, it had all these other things. And the teacher said, oh, yeah, you wrote us about this. Oh yeah. Um, Yes, and she said, um, "Why don't they have a white power one?" And and uh, my ma'am. Sat there yeah. and ma'am. She, she sat there and she was, you know, but if I had That's... one like that, that would be racist. Why does that happen? Yes, to be it would. She it goes, "Why can't there be?" That is the Holocaust. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> she, and then she went on and said, she was like, and then why can't why can't there be like a white month? Why can't there be this? And my daughter. My daughter sat there and she said, she told us, she told her, well, it's white, it's white day every day. Right. Mm -hmm. But she said, mom, this is a teacher that she really loves, actually, who is really kind to her. It does really a great experience with her. But she said, mom, it's not, she didn't just say it once. Like she kept commenting on it to the point Mm -hmm. where there is a gym teacher there that is black. And she said he overheard some of it and walked up and had, a, you know, said, well, while you were sitting back, you know, while, pe- while white people were sitting back watching us work for them and getting whipped, you know, you guys got to just sit back and, and get paid for that. You know, there should be a Black History Month. So there, should so. be, there should be that. And um, and you your know, daughter we, is it, your daughter is 14. Is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah, she's 14. Wow, she so this grown crazy. teacher was was right. saying all this to a 14-year-old over and over again. Well, she she, she was refer- – so what happened was the black gym teacher who was there stepped in. Yeah, he said that. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. it wasn't to Ava anymore, but she watched the whole thing. Right, well, yeah, but like the, the white power comments and all of that, yeah, saying that to a 14-year-old. A 14-year-old yeah. child has to – try to figure out how do I articulate to someone who has a power and authority over me pretty much why this is inappropriate. And like that, the fact that a 14 year old has to do that's mental gymnastics that we talk about on 
that we talk about on Black ministers are just like things you have to be aware of as a Black person in a white space and around like white people who have power and influence over you. That's a very like scary situation because I mean, part of it is like, how do I say this without this person getting upset at me? But I also feel inda- invalidated as a person in my blackness and my humanness. But then it's also coming from someone who has so much influence over me. I don't know how I can um, make this, you know, be something digestible for them that they won't get upset at me. And that's something that a, a child shouldn't have to go through. And and I don't know, your whole experience is just very, it, it shows why issues that happen at a BYU, issues that happen at, you know, all these things that we see coming out of Utah with just all these isms and all these, you know, problems that, that other people from other countries, like from other states can't even fathom. I was talking with my friend who grew up in Chicago with me, went to school in Atlanta, now lives in New York. She was talking about how like the stuff that people would say on our videos is like laughable in other places. And like for us, we're like, oh, that was pretty good. You know, and it's it's just showing because people have such a homogenous experience racially, culturally, even socioeconomically. Okay, let's like talk about all of it and just like with sexuality as well. Just so many areas that they're just so used to being around people that are 100 percent like them and and people who are also supposed to be leading them and teaching them the adults also have had that same experience. So they don't even know how to lead conversations about race. They don't know how to lead conversations about neurodivergent people. Like they don't know how to do this themselves either because they have never had to as well. So it's just, you feel like you're being, I mean, your experience is just like everywhere you turned, people failed you. People did the wrong thing. Not just the children who are honestly innocent really until someone teaches them better, but the people that are supposed to teach them better don't know better and that's like the problem with utah and that's why it's such a it's such a hard place to be because it's not just one area it's like you see constantly systematically how this is constantly reinforced and no one is checking or looking to change and you find pockets of it but it doesn't feel like it's enough to really bring change when you hear stories like your family and what has been the experience for your children and um, it makes me lose faith in the state and like why I, I would never want to raise black children here mm-hmm. if I have kids because it's like y'all are white okay like y'all are the white parents if they're treating y'all like that imagine how they would treat like two black parents like yeah. I can't even imagine like the invalidation and the gaslighting that would happen and the white fragility that you already spoke of but I can't imagine it just happening even more. And again, this also contributes to why Utah is not diverse because these experiences happen and people leave. So well, sorry, I just have to. They have the they hire someone there to be over, like to be over. I don't even know what they they call that position to be over director the, the director of diversity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, is it a person of color? About, uh, yes, yes. but not yes, right. And, right. um, it, you just gotta say, but not. All, we the hesitation was all we needed. We, we already know what you mean by that. Well, she. So an instance happened with our daughter where she heard someone call her the N word. She sends me a text and she says, "Mom, come and pick me up." And I said, "Well, what happened?" And she said, "Someone just called me the N word." So I was gonna go get her, but while I did that, I snapshot the uh, picture of the text message and sent it to the principal. They had pulled her in. They watched they they watched the video because they have cameras in there. And they had a conversation with her saying, so we looked through the camera. We didn't see anybody call her that. It doesn't look like anyone's now, mouth is clear. moving. There's no audio, right? It's just a video feed. Yeah. And they said, it doesn't look like anyone's mouth is moving. 
There's no one around her that we see that we think would ever say that. Well, we don't see her turn her head. We don't see her look up. We don't see her move in any way. So we talked to her about it and we realized it was a misunderstanding. And so when I went and picked her up, I said, Ava, do you, how did you feel with that conversation that you had with the principal? And she goes, I sat there and they made me feel stupid. They mm-hmm. made me feel like what I said wasn't real. And so, yeah, I agreed that it was a misunderstanding because I didn't know what else to say. She goes, but right. mom, I heard it. And so mm-hmm. I responded with, because we were like CCing the director of diversity on our emails to the principal. And I said, so my daughter, the way that she acted it, when she froze and hears this, because she didn't, they, they went up and make mentioned, I think I counted six or seven ways in which she did not react or move in the way that they thought she needed to react or move to have heard a word like that. Mm-hmm. And so because she, the way she reacted is because let's think about it. If she would have reacted in an emotional way, would that have been a positive thing for her? No. no not at all. Honestly, that's not even a conversation that they should have been having without y'all present. Exactly. Yeah, again. Exactly. Um, and and so yeah, those are those are some conversations that you talk about, you know, gaslighting and switching the words, but that's what it always is mm-hmm. every single time. It's gaslighting, you know, and, and our issue is, and I, and this will be the last thing I think right. Um but between the N-word, between the, the monkey comments, between the you got a big nose or other stereotypical anatomical hey. comments, uh, Gavin wearing a do-rag or a cap to cover his hair when he was playing football, when he put his helmet on and the older players were making fun of him like he was doing it to be a gangster or something. It's like, no, he needs to protect his hair. Yeah. These mm-hmm. kids are so ill-informed. They're just, their mm-hmm. exposure, it just, it baffles you when you have just not... I mean, you guys, again, have lived up other places. Mm-hmm. I know just like my frontal, I'm just like, I cannot understand. Like, it's just <laughs> like my brain cannot comprehend because I just have not had that experience in yeah. life. Like, I've interacted with so many people that are different than me that I just like, I can't fathom why someone would fix their mouth, you know, to even say those things. Because it's like, like, I didn't grow like I've been around more than just black people. Like, I have friends that do things differently than me that are not black. And I'm not like. Like, I would never say that. Like, I would never say that as a child, even. Like, my mom wouldn't allow me to say that. My mom would, like, hit me physically, be like, we don't say that, you know? And it's just crazy to think that they are not growing up in households, that their parents are, you know, stopping them from even well, thinking That's a funny like thing, that. Rachel, is I think Utah, and this came up in the last, your last podcast, I don't think they're having conversations about it because no, no one has not. exposure to it. And they're all assuming racism is bad. Right. Yes. And every time you bring it up, it's like, well, I'm not a racist. Like, no, but there is such thing as implicit bias. And until mm-hmm. you guys can sit down, acknowledge it and look at it for what it is, you're always going to be creating an environment in which it is not safe for certain groups of people. There are other religions. Yeah. There are other races. There are other experiences out there beyond uh, beyond what you normally see here. Yeah. And we, we brought someone into elementary school um, to into their IEP meeting to talk about implicit bias and the, the teacher that was absolutely um, being discriminatory against our kids with um, she had you could there were biases and it was against their disability um, in that meeting. And she came with a union rep when she heard that we were bringing someone in to talk on implicit bias. 
And I, I tried to work with the district and asking them, hey, you know, you, you really need to have education for the teachers here because, you know, we're not going to see it. I don't, I don't, I don't, when you say implicit bias, people think we're just calling you, calling them racist. Like that's their intention. But I think when people understand and see, like, I know that I have every single person, no matter what gender, whatever race, we all have our biases. Right. And I don't think we always see what they are or recognize them until you even fully understand what that is. Right. And, um, and I know that implicit bias is racism, right. Um, it's just, a different type, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, am I explaining this correctly? Yeah, I would say so. Honestly, yeah. The, the the more I hear about this, the more I, the longer I live in Utah, the more I realize that if anybody has scales of darkness over their eyes, it's people here in Utah. Because man, this, I mean, they just, so many things that they just do not see and do not understand. And when those scales finally fall away in whatever instance, it's, it's it, you know, it's interesting to see the change. But yeah, it's uh Yeah, well the response was we we do have training. We do. And I said, "Well, I'd like to see what that is." And it ended up being something that the teachers had to be invited to. They only had 20 seats and it was optional. And I said, "That's your training? That's what you have. How many people are even going to fill those 20 seats mm-hmm. for you guys to have that optional and for you only to have a certain amount of seats for people to go? That's not enough." Yeah. And I think that's the thing that we've been trying to push in the middle school since our kids have been there three years, you know, they had someone come in and speak and I I brought up education once again. And they said, well, we did, we had this person come and speak. I said, yeah, no, I know. I know who that is. He's black. I also know what he spoke on and it was perseverance. It was working hard. And that is a really great thing, but that is not bringing in someone to talk to educate on diversity and and these these conversations that are not happening in the home and we know that so bring it to the school let's have conversation about it let's let's talk about it and maybe maybe there's a law maybe there's he's not they're not outright just telling us they can't have someone in because they've not brought anyone in yet they did a diversity week finally after us complaining and going over and over again and the, the week was a shortened week <laughs> And the first thing they did, it was right. They, the first week, the first day, the first thing they did on the first day was a motocross event. <laughs> I was like, "What?" Diversity in sports and extracurriculars. Uh-huh. You gotta make sure you cover all your your bases. <laughs> I guess I don't know how how diverse or how motocross and diversity go together in that instance, but man. And when we fight these things, there's no one. We try to talk to people about it, and I think they think that we're crazy. <laughs> I, I think they're like, gosh, they're pushing too hard. They are. We, we've, we've been told that we're creating racism in our children by constantly talking about these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is the same the state where they were trying to pass those bills about yeah. diversity Outlying, and inclusion yeah. in higher education. So mm-hmm. I'm not surprised that people say that because this is the same place that bred those same kind of people. So... I talked in church. They they had trek. They were going on trek at church. Not trek. And I said, you know, I really wish that you guys would also teach. I said, you have you have children of color in your classes. That should be enough right there in this in in this situation for you guys to not only talk about your pioneers, 
but talk right. about the pioneers that they have as well. Right. That are not LDS. They're just yes. people. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, and and the look, it was friends that I was talking to, right? And and the look on their face was, yeah, but you know, we are. We're teaching. So shouldn't we know all of the story? <laughs> I can't remember exactly what well, we, we said, also but made- sitting there <laughs> being like, I saw the look and I thought I it's not there's I can't say anything else. Well, we also made the comment of like you guys can make your pioneer clothing, but our kids would be making what their slave clothing. I mean, I would have said it too. Right. I mean, I just it's so it just felt so I would have said the same thing. You know, but that's been our experience. And I'm sorry I interrupted you, Nate, as you were trying to kind of put it all together, but I kind of want to pepper in the other things because I think what we've seen throughout has been a tendency towards saying, whoa, we're not racist, but there's no one willing to acknowledge that there's some sort of deficit and training is never an option. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is probably the, the kindest approach, right? Because they're certainly not reprimanding. I mean, Gavin got called the N-word a couple of times at a lacrosse practice. We let the coach know. And then what happens next? The kid's nice to him says, and follows up with, so can I call you the N-word? It's like, what kind of conversation do you just have? <laughs> oh, man. Well, we have just stepped backwards. Uh, I said, um, what? Wow. That's the, so the, I don't even know how you get that conclusion out of a conversation. Right. Word. Well, which That's... makes us say, okay, so who, what was the conversation like? He didn't, we, I let the coach know and he goes, I'll talk to him. I had said I had a text message that he had sent my son full on. Where are you? N word, hard E-R, like said it. He said it in the locker room. He said it on the field. And I said, I have a, a, a picture of this text message. I also have multiple kids that were there that heard it. And he said, I will handle it. And when you hear that the next thing that after he's handled it is that the kid says, oh, that's embarrassing that other parents know that I said that. Can I still call you that? Right. What was the conversation and was the parent even involved? So today I was like kind of scanning, trying to find that parent so that I could sit down and say, hey, I'm not sure if you're aware. I would want to be aware if I didn't know. And it was my child. So I just want you to know what happened. Not sure if there was even a conversation because there is no way that they handle things in the school to, to make it stop. Mm-hmm. Right. They're, they're, they're not handling it in a way that is, is letting these kids know that it's wrong, especially if that's the comment he's making when he comes back. Yeah. And my son the next time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if y'all I think I think you mentioned the the, the podcast that we had last week um, where they talked about how important it is for us to be able to have these conversations, because if we don't have the conversations, then nothing changes. And then you get you end up with. With situations where people are wondering if it's okay mm-hmm. to, to call someone the n-word or they think they don't understand what's wrong with it you know not talking about racism just makes it that much easier to perpetuate because there's that added level of ignorance on top of the racism and then you have the white fragility that goes on top of that and then you have the the fear of being you know labeled quote unquote as a racist without realizing what that actually means, you know, or what racism actually is. It's not just a label. It's not just a stigma. It's it's a state of mind. It's a state of, of, of conditioning. And if that isn't if that isn't adjusted, if that isn't corrected or changed, then it shows up in situations like this where you have that lawyer who I'm sure meant well, he was just probably doing what he's used to doing. But 
because of the bias that he had, it affected your situation. It affected the case, you know. Um, and so things like that, you know, if we don't have these conversations, if we don't learn to look at things from different perspectives, then we end up with with huge messes, respectively, like this one, where so many things that could have been done better or so many things that could have been done differently end up being done in a way that's harmful, that's traumatic, and that just creates more problems long term. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, you know, we really appreciate y'all coming on and, and sharing mm-hmm. your experiences and your story. And, um, you know, we hope that Gavin and Aiden and your other children, I forget their names, I hope that they're doing okay and that y'all continue to heal and also like resolve this issue because it's not fully resolved yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but we wish you the best. And, you know, thank you and, so much for, for coming on to the podcast and, and sharing your your experience with us. Yeah. And I just also want to say that there's um, I just keep encouraging you guys to keep fighting for your children and knowing that there are lots of communities here as well to support. And um, I know you guys are probably connected with, you know, there are, there's a lot of people who, you know, have transracially adopted like you guys have. And there's a lot of you know, there's a community here for that and know that there's lots of Black people here who are fighting these things, who live all across, you know, Salt Lake County, Davis County, and Utah County that, I mean, I personally know that have dealt with these types of things and know that you aren't alone in this fight, that there are, this is happening all over the state, right? Like, who is investigating Davis School School District? Um, this is the Department Nate, of Justice. Yeah, the Department of Justice. So, like, this is happening everywhere. It's not just what, what happening to you. It's a, it's an epidemic in this state. And know that you have lots of people that are there um, dealing with the, these same issues. And not that that makes it better, but I, I hope that encourages you to know that you have just as awesome people um, doing doing this work as well. And we hope that we can be of any assistance that we can to help share this story and just understand what is really happening to the youth in this state. And it, it's, it's sad. Every time I hear stories that happen to elementary school, middle schoolers and high schoolers, I'm always baffled um, mm-hmm. because it's always a little more visceral than what even happens at universities. Yeah, it is. I think that you guys actually started, well, I think I had heard in a podcast um, Maybe it was the one, Nate, that you were being interviewed on, the Mormon Stories one, mm-hmm. um, talking about how um, you started up. Did, were you the one that started up the um, the program at BYU where the youth could come and meet up with? Oh, BSU um, Junior. BSU Junior, yep. Mm-hmm. Right? So Jordan actually took our twins to that. Um, Ava, our daughter, I think she was, I don't even know, I think she was doing something else and wasn't able to go. But he took them to that. And they were hesitant at first. The most and recent one? No, this was. Was it before COVID or after? It was, it was last year. Okay. Last year. Someone was there cutting hair. There was. Um, oh, yeah. I was there. You were there? I was so, there. Yeah. yeah. So we probably met because I went around and said hello to. I probably have some videos of your kids like jumping around in the gymnastics room. That's fun. But uh, I, I guess there was like some really. They, they met one. Who did they meet? Was it oh, they were really talking to the basketball team. Oh yeah. Did not leave him alone. Like it was, Aiden was like, I bet you can't dunk. I bet you're not very good. <laughs> like they were just like, the guy was like getting there like. That's funny. They, they came home and they were like, that was really fun. You know? And, and I think that I really, really appreciate when we see things like that going on. Um, that, that, and we take advantage of it um, because I know I see the joy in our kids whenever they're around people that look like them, which is why 
you know, whenever I see someone that I, I go up to, you know, my, they, they did, they did, um, what do you call it? They like basketball lessons. It was like one-on-one lessons with this ref that said he did coaching and it wasn't for them to be these amazing basketball players. It was for them to have an opportunity to be with an adult male that looks like right. them. Mm-hmm. and to have those opportunities. Aiden goes and works out at a gym and, and absolutely loves it. And the owner is black and he just love. they thrive. You see the look in their face. Yeah. How excited they went. They he, There was a seven on seven tournament in Mesquite and Jordan calls me and he was like, Oh, you could, they, he was like, Gavin was like dancing and doing all these things. And I was like, I, 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 he didn't I know why he was just happy, but mm-hmm. we really are grateful for all you guys too. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and being a voice and helping educate us too, through your podcasts and experience, because yeah. we are, constantly learning we know what we're signing up for it will be a lifelong thing okay it it will be your whole life uh you'll be learning stuff that we're making our mistakes like i know it. i do not claim to feel like i know it all because i totally don't that's good that's good we really appreciate what you guys are doing i i sit there and i uh, go onto your tiktoks and i'm like guys look look at this one the one that came up with will i had my my Mm -hmm. kids like watch Mm -hmm. that and and so they can hear other people's experiences. Yeah. And it really like it gives them, you know, a visual and an understanding when they're hearing things from other people, not just from what only happens to them and what they see in our home and what they see us talking about. So it's really yeah. great. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Hey, thank y'all for being on here. Before we yes. go, we got one last thing. We got our recommendations, which I'm sure y'all know about. We always recommend one thing at the end of the episode or or a couple of things. Um, I can go first. Rachel, you can go first. I'm fine with you. No, you can go first, Nate. Okay, cool. So this week, I've got two recommendations. Chandra, you actually reminded me of one. I'm going to go ahead and recommend my Mormon Stories podcast interview. I'm so dead. I love that, though. You know, I got to give myself a plug. Yeah, so yes, I got plug yourself. Mormon Stories podcast. Um, so if you get a chance to go check out my episode, do that. Enjoy it. Um and then I was going to make another recommendation, but I can't remember. Oh, yeah. The other recommendation I was going to make is if you listen to the Black Menaces podcast, please take your favorite episode and share it on your Instagram story, Facebook story, wherever, um, and just encourage other people to listen as well. Because, you know, this this podcast is great for us, but it also is a great way to educate. Uh, we have, we've had a lot of really great conversations on here, and then we're able to have people like Chandra and Jordan on to, like, further increase that education from, like, new perspectives. So mm-hmm. um, please, you know, if there's a favorite episode or an episode that you think somebody needs to hear, then take that and share it on your on your social media. Um, and let's get more people listening to the podcast. Okay. My recommendation for the week is this is kind of backwards, but – I'm going to see everything everywhere all at once later tonight Ooh, for Tuesday, it's and I heard it's really good. Very Crazy good. that I haven't seen it. I don't know where I've been. I thought it came out a long time ago. It actually came out last year. I don't know what to say for that for myself, but it won a lot of nominations and it's very intersectional um, from what I've heard. So I'm really excited to watch it. So that's my recommendation for people on here is to go watch that movie just because I mean, they won like literally everything at the Oscars, which is great. You know, representation like, the first Asian American winning an award. Like it's 2023. That's so crazy to say out loud, mm-hmm. but that's my recommendation for the week because um, all of the 
directors of it are really dope. I heard them at a conference in November. That's what like sparked me learning about uh, the movie and just hearing their creative process. Very cool. So that's my recommendation. Because it's back in theaters right now. I think they did it because of the Oscars. So I'm assuming it's at your local theater too. If it's here in Utah, it's everywhere because this is like the very bottom of the barrel. So um, go check out your local theater to watch everything everywhere all at once. Oh, is the Archer? Yeah, yeah, it's you guys. It's what do y'all want to recommend? If you could recommend, it could be anything. Like, like yeah, anything. It could be a movie. You you, uh, you heard you mentioned that documentary earlier. You could recommend that. Just whatever you want to recommend. So we, yeah, I, that's what I was gonna say. Is it's who we are. It's on Netflix, and okay. Jordan actually watched it first, and he was like, "You really need to watch this." So I watched it, and he goes, "Do you think that?" This is something we should show our kids, and I was like, "Absolutely!" And our kids sat and watched. Oh yeah, it. Um, it was it was really good. We also sat down and watched the movie Till with them. Oh and yes, our kids sat there and they were like, "Can we please stop? This is really hard to watch." And I said, mm -hmm. "But that is why we're watching this because yeah. we have to. We have to watch these things. We have to know what happened." And that that was a really. Um, an eye-opening thing, I think, for everyone to see and learn about. And it, it, you hear the stories, but when you have a visual to go with it, yes, it was, it was really good. Hard to watch, but it was really a good one. She did it. She did both. Love it. Well, y'all are a great team. We appreciate y'all tag teaming yes. for us on the show and uh, or on the podcast, and um, we appreciate it. And with that, yes. we'll catch y'all next week. That's the show for today. We were super excited to be able to talk with you about the wonderful topics of the Black Menace podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at The Black Menaces. And subscribe to our Patreon, The Menace Society, for bonus content and footage of both the podcast and our videos. We look forward to hearing from y'all in our email. You can email us Menace Moments and other questions that you may have for us be sure to email black podcast at gmail.com to get those menace moments and questions flowing into our inbox we'll answer you on the podcast and respond to you in the email and remember always be a menace thank you guys